Welcome to Parenting Your Sensitive Child. Parenting a highly sensitive child can feel overwhelming, and all the parenting books in the world can only get you so far if your head and your heart are out of alignment with your child's. I'm your host, Julia McGarry. Let's create a new parenting paradigm. Hey parents, welcome to part two of this two-part series I'm doing on building a toolkit to help you get through times that feel like they're a little more chaotic than usual. This week, we're talking about strategies that you can start using now for you and for your child to get a little bit more sleep or a little more quality sleep. So I've talked a bit about kids and sleep before, and I'll start there today because if your child isn't sleeping, you're probably not sleeping that well either. But there's this funny thing that happens when your child's sleep is disrupted, right? Let's say they get sick and they aren't sleeping well and they're really needing you. So your sleep gets thrown off too. Well, eventually their sleep goes back to their version of normal, right? But you can end up stuck with a disrupted sleep pattern that you picked up while they were sick. And that's on top of the fact that so many adults struggle with at least situational anxiety. And we're constantly inundated with blue light. I don't know how many people I've talked to that have trouble going to bed early or who wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep for a couple hours. So this is something that many adults deal with, whether you have kids or not. And then having kids in the picture makes it a little bit more complicated. So I'm actually planning to spend a little bit more time talking about how to help you get the sleep that you want and some steps that you can take to improve your sleep now, even if your child isn't sleeping that well. All right? But first, the kids. What I want to say here is that it's incredibly valuable to help your child build their own toolkit for better sleep. Absolutely. And if this is an ongoing struggle for your family, it's worth getting outside help. Talk to their pediatrician. Find out if your child's Sleep struggles fall into the category of childhood insomnia. And find out if they'd recommend that you have a sleep study done for your child or if they'd recommend that you start a low dose of melatonin. Having this outside perspective can really help guide you towards things that are supported and helpful for your child when it comes to them getting the sleep that they need. Now, if going to a chiropractor feels more aligned with your values than adding in melatonin, let's say, then explore that option. Just be sure to look for one who's certified in the Webster technique, okay? Getting outside help and finding the root cause can be a total game changer, and it can give you the space to think about and come up with solutions for the times that they are lying awake at night. So if you get them into the habit of mostly sleeping and then there are a few nights 
where they do still have trouble, it gives you a lot more space to help them develop solutions or strategies for those moments. And it can help them feel rested enough to actually want to work on building their own toolkit. Now, if you are ready to help them start building a toolkit, what I recommend doing is to start talking to them about it during daylight hours. Look for guided meditations that they might like or sleep-inducing stories that they enjoy listening to. Look for them during the day, listen to them in the car, expose them to them, just make sure that they actually like them before you try it at night, right? We have really liked the little monkey story from Peace Out podcast. It's actually their very first episode, so it's very easy to find. And we also really like Georgia and the Dragon by Storytime, which is another podcast by Bedtime FM. It's not necessarily my daughter's favorite story, but it's one that puts us to sleep, puts me to sleep almost every time we listen to it. I would pre-listen to it though, just giving you that heads up, because there was a period of time where my daughter didn't like this scene where they go visit a spider because of the spider's voice. It's not actually like a scary moment, but for her it was a little too intense. So pre-listen first, see if you think it would work for your kid, and then give it a try. Okay? If your child is older, you can start teaching them some of the tools that you use too. You can start teaching them to slow down their breathing, to focus more on the exhale. You can teach them to do a simple body scan. You can also help them process the events of their day before they climb into bed. Rosebud Thorn is a good dinner time discussion tool that serves this purpose. You go around the table and you share the best part of your day, that's the rose. Something you're looking forward to, that's the bud. And then the hardest part of your day, that's the thorn. And this, I think, is really helpful because so often the things that our children are ruminating on at bedtime are things that were hard for them that day that they haven't really fully processed yet or things that they're really excited about that they're looking forward to that they want to talk more about. So bringing it up at dinner gives them a chance to talk about it, to process it a little bit more before they get into bed so that they don't have quite so much to say once they're there. Journaling is also a great practice and it's one that you can start together as your kids are old enough to start keeping a journal. It helps you, it helps them process everything that you've experienced in the day and get it down on paper so it's not just rattling around in your brain. So we've got the kids covered. Now what can we do for ourselves? Right off the bat you can work on your sleep hygiene. Decide right now what time you'd like to be turning off the lights and commit to setting your phone down outside of your room an hour before that time. If you use your phone as an alarm clock, you might want to get a different alarm clock. And be on to yourself. If you are someone who stays up later than your body wants you to, because it's the only time you get to yourself, 
consider whether you might be better equipped to handle the day-to-day life with kids if you were well-rested. Might you be better equipped to take care of yourself in those moments, few as they may be, where your child is paying attention to something other than you or someone other than you? Might you be better equipped to enjoy the time you're spending with your child? And then ask yourself, which is more valuable to you? Your end of the day me time or getting the sleep that you need to feel differently throughout your day? If you land on sleep, you might start with giving yourself one night per week where you do nothing but take care of yourself after bedtime. You completely unplug, get ready for bed early, maybe spend some time writing or drinking a cup of tea, maybe you read a little bit and then turn out the light early and just practice focusing on breathing, focusing on settling your body and preparing for sleep, right? That's kind of a level, level up, level two exercise if you want to go there. Now, I am someone who wakes up and can't go back to sleep. And a lot of my friends are this way too, especially friends who have kids, especially moms who breastfed their kids. It's a pattern that is reinforced through breastfeeding, through middle of the night feedings in general. And for the longest time, I've told myself, I've just believed that this is just the way I'm wired, it's who I am, and I have to deal with it. Or I have to make some big lifestyle change to prevent it from happening in the first place. Recently, though, I've started to question this. I question it because I know that when you believe there's nothing you can do, you do nothing and nothing changes. I began to wonder if I could change my sleep patterns just by changing my mind and the way I think about my sleep. And so I began to question why my mind spins out at night. What is my brain trying to accomplish by reminding me over and over of all the insignificant by day things that need to get done? And the answer I came to was that my brain was just doing what all human brains are wired to do. Trying to keep me safe. And since most of my day-to-day stress has to do with little tasks and getting things done, that's what my brain tends to focus on as the threat in the middle of the night. The thing that kept me from realizing that ultimately, for my brain, this was a safety issue was that none of those things that I was thinking about were actually that important. The thing that helped flip the switch for me, that helped me realize the underlying worry was that I wasn't safe, was what my body was doing in those moments. Often when I'm lying awake at night, I'm on alert. My body is charged. If I pay attention, I can feel a kind of tension running through my shoulders, the muscles of my arms, like I'm a cat ready to pounce. I'm ready to go. This, for me, was very important information. This was the sign that my sympathetic nervous system, the one responsible for the fight or flight response, was driving the show. And when your sympathetic nervous system is kicked on like that, your parasympathetic, the one that helps you relax, doesn't operate the way that it needs to for you to fall asleep. 
So in that moment of realization, something shifted for me. And what had always seemed to be a challenge of calming my mind became about creating safety for my mind and in my body. And since I made that shift and started actively creating a feeling of safety for myself, the amount of time I've spent awake in the middle of the night has decreased significantly. Even with the trauma and stress that my family and friends have been processing since November 7th, when one of our friends was killed, even through that process of grieving and healing, I've been sleeping better than I used to. So what did I do? Or even better, really, what can you do to address this problem? Number one, figure out how to create a feeling of safety in your body. For me, that involves finding reassurance that I am safe within my body. Doing a body scan alone doesn't work that well for me for getting to sleep. And telling myself I'm safe because I'm warm in my bed, with a roof over my head, doesn't really work either. It's not enough to shift what I feel in my body. What I've landed on is a combination of the two things. I guide myself through a body scan with the intention of feeling safe. I say to myself, I know I am safe because I can feel my toes. And I let myself feel them and feel the safety all the way down in my toes. I tell myself, I know I am safe because I can feel the ball of my foot. And I move slowly up through my body. The difference that I feel by focusing on the feeling of safety in my body is appreciable immediately. I can feel myself drop into my body in a way that I don't always do when I just try to focus my attention and focus my breathing on specific parts of my body. Now, this works really well when I know I'm feeling anxious, when I'm overthinking things that need to get done or I'm worried about something specific. But sometimes I just feel excited. And in those moments, my brain doesn't care if I'm safe. If that's the case, it works much better to just focus on shifting my breathing. I work on inhaling for four counts and exhaling for eight. It helps me settle. Sometimes it helps me settle enough to fall asleep. Sometimes it's not quite enough, but it's enough to help me settle into my safety scan. And that's what I'm going to start calling it, the safety scan. So... Those are some new tools for you to try. Try taking yourself through a safety scan. And if you can't settle enough to do it, work on your breathing. Work through that breath work that we talked about in the last episode. And then come back and try the safety scan again. All right. I hope you have a restful couple of weeks. Celebrate. Do what you do in December. And I'll meet you back here in January. Do you feel like you're parenting 24-7 and you're still not sure your child is getting what they need? Are you ready to stop parenting reactively and start living in partnership with your sensitive child? 
Are you ready to reclaim time for yourself and time for your dreams? Then you're going to want to explore coaching with me. I help my clients tune out all the noise, better understand their kids, build a parenting strategy that meets their family's specific needs, and do the mindset work necessary to implement that strategy consistently without sacrificing themselves in the process. To get started, just head over to partnerpath.com, click on coaching, and get your free consultation set up. Let's get to know each other.